Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is Churros. No, no churros tonight. This is your host Kian Sobani. Uh, joining me is my good friend and uh, arch rival at times, Diego Lorin of La Liga Lowdown and Barça Blaugranas. Joining me from Barcelona, it's almost what two a.m. there. How are you feeling, Diego? A little bit tired, Kian, but I think um, don't ever say. I never do nothing for you, my friend. This is doing this for favor. you. This is a big favor. No, I'm doing this for the both of us, of course. But because uh, I enjoy You're doing talking. this for all your managing fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The massive managing Madrid fan club that I've built over there these next past months. But um, no, I, I do this because I uh, I love you and I love talking. Barca and Madrid and Liga stuff with you so it doesn't matter the time of day or night I'm here for you buddy um, the feeling is mutual anytime you need me just give me a give me a call which you have done at 3am but I haven't answered <laughs> and it uh, turns out it was just drunk calling anyway so I'm glad I didn't um, yeah. <laughs> how do you feel you feel okay are you are you disappointed or you're sad you you're, there's no way you're sad or disappointed your your unbeaten run continues yeah, well, I'm a little bit sad and disappointed that the show didn't start off with a churros y tácticas. That was I was surprised uh, that you didn't that didn't throw you off. First of all, no, um, I'm very professional at these things. I'm organized. You're you're very good, and uh, it's cool to be on the Managing Madrid podcast first time. Uh, and with regards to the game, um, <coughs> yeah, I guess I mean my tone of voice probably sums it up i mean it's um it was way better than i expected by the way did i or did i not call it 2-2 on churros tactics you did and i but then you switched it to I'm not I sw- I, I what did you say 3-1 for, for spectacle for show reasons yeah, we both too. switched our answer but mine almost was came more, true yours almost came true but that was more of just to like you know bait you know some debate amongst Madridistas and Cules, but really I was expecting a two-two. I called it on churros y tácticas. It came uh, that that happened in the end, and uh, I'm happy. I'm happy because I think it's the fair result. Now we're gonna start talking about all of the spectacle surrounding in you know in the match with with uh, refereeing decisions going for and against both teams. But I think in the end. Neither team can really, neither team can really complain about the end result. I think two two was 
the fair result on a nine. Two two was a fair result, and I think actually. So we're recording this. Over, would you say over two hours um, mm-hmm. after the game? We were mm-hmm. initially supposed to record like almost right after, and I think it's a good thing that we waited. Uh, mm. We waited for logistical reasons, and, and it wasn't intentional. But I think it's good because it gave me a chance, anyway. Maybe I don't know if it changes your thoughts at all. Gave me a chance to cool down. Um, you were heated. I was. I was heated. I was heated. Mm. Um, Interesting. I think now that it's kind of like you just kind of separate yourself from the game a bit you start to like breathe a bit and and just and just kind of talk yourself into you know what i don't really want to talk about the referee and all that i just kind of want to talk about the football um mm. obviously that's going to be impossible in a way we're going to have to talk about it yeah however as a raptors fan in the last <laughs> 24 48 hours i'm just sick of referees i think i just i don't i don't <laughs> Uh, I think I like think, my arc enemies at this point in, in, in any sport. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I think, listen, the Raptors were a lot worse or harder done by uh, than Madrid because, again, I think both teams had decisions go you know, against them unjustly. Uh, and I think we should address it. I mean, at the end of the day, the referee is part of the game too. And Hernandez Hernandez didn't have the, the best of nights. That's uh, that, that 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 has to be said. Well, here's the thing: you and I, we did we do churros tacticas every week, and this question of referees surfaces quite often. And it's not because necessarily about Real Madrid or Barcelona, but we watch almost every game in La Liga. We've been watching almost every game in La Liga for a long time, and this season we've covered from A to Z. We've covered everything, and we've seen how many teams in La Liga get screwed mm-hmm. by the referee. Oh, um, yes. And we almost... For years. For years. And we almost don't... We try not to, you and I, we try not to emphasize so much about the referee mistakes of Real Madrid and Barcelona because we we both felt, last time we spoke about this, that mm. the smaller teams in La Liga just don't have a voice and no one speaks for them and no one really cares about their mistakes, but actually a lot of shocking decisions happen throughout almost every game in Spain. And I don't know how you feel about this particular game, Diego. I also, like, to anybody who thinks that there is a conspiracy on either side, because, by the way, right. if, if there was a conspiracy on either side, not every single fan base would feel like there's a conspiracy against them. <laughs> this game had incompetency all around. Mm. Um, we can sit here and chirp all we want. Gareth Bale mm. went through Umtiti like right. I'm not even sure if I've ever seen a tackle like that and it was casually brushed off. On the flip mm-hmm. side, there was a lot of calls that went against Real Madrid. And I think mm-hmm. here's what I'll, here's my first attempt to bait you and maybe create some tension. But here's okay. what I just don't like is that a lot of the calls that Barcelona feel that go against them or perceived against them, they they really put pressure on the referee to sway sway it one way or the other. Um, and I didn't like 
I didn't like this, Diego. I didn't like what Messi did in the first half, where he, with full intention, he went to Ramos knowing exactly what he was doing. And that was even made more clear by the fact that he started yelling at Ramos after he tackled him. Just just because he didn't like how Ramos got in Suarez's face. Well, okay, hold on a second, Kian. Let me pull up my notes in front because I took note of um, when the Clásico started to heat up. I think in the beginning, Barca was dominating, then Madrid took over. And it, it seemed to be a kind of a Clásico that... Um, there was there was certainly something to play for, but it didn't. It, it was right at the end there where it really seemed it was like all of a sudden it just got heated, right? And there, it started with the back and forth, um, the, the, the crispy kind of final minutes of the first half. First, it, it, right, it started with Suarez and Ramos. Uh, Ramos um, basically calling out Suarez for uh, his theatrics. Uh, then Ramos and Messi, as you pointed out, uh, Messi probably standing up for his buddy. Mm, then the Bell Umtiti, then the red card, uh, or uh, what should have been a red card, and then Sergio, uh, Sergi Roberto to Marcelo, and then Sergi being sent off. So, where is what? Is, just so I understand exactly, what is your beef with Messi <clears throat> for standing I, up for a teammate? Surely no, not. I, no, it was the intenter. To hurt Ramos, that's all. Ah, oh, come on, man! No, no, no he no, knew no. he knew exactly what he was doing. It you, it, right, it was, right it, before what, he hit him, I knew what was about to happen. Ramos was in a position where he had to release the ball before Messi comes in, and Messi knew he was going through him regardless of what where the ball is, and he mm-hmm. wouldn't have acted that way if if that whole Suarez incident didn't happen just before it. Mm. Because why else um, would you yell at a player after you've hurt him? For what reason was he yelling at Ramos there? That's the part. That's no, no, the, that no, stuff no. gets brushed aside for no reason other than the fact that he's Lionel Messi and he can do whatever he wants. I don't know about that, but I, I, I maybe I missed something. Um, to me, it seemed uh, I saw the replay uh, once, and it seemed that Messi's. Like his is uh, n- not the leg that he was going into the tackle with, but his second the one. Yeah. So the follow through one, right? T- like basically touches Ramos, but it, 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 you're not going to compare that tackle to Bell to MTT, right? No, the Bell MTT one was actually was very hurtful in a red card. I, I'm, I'm that whole that whole sequence was really weird to me because it seems so casual that okay you're like okay that's a foul uh, and then Bale extends his hand and Umtiti is furious and you're kind of figuring out what why is this yeah, the dude is deal. limping yeah and then you look at the replay and you see Bale go through him the way he did and you're like wow right. how did that go unpunished um, right whereas with the Messi I didn't get that sense like that sense that it was that malicious. Um, I think Bale somehow maybe made it look not as bad as it was because of his reaction afterwards where he, he extends his hand and he's very casual, whereas mm. Messi makes it very dramatic, and I think that's what made it look worse. Mm. That makes sense. Okay. Well, it, it, it kind of... Listen, like I said, I, I saw that replay, the Messi tackle, the replay once. It didn't look like a big deal to me. It looked like me... 
a little bit of uh, uh, llamar la atención, like call the attention of Ramos of what happened before. Well, that to me is totally fine, totally normal. It's part of the game, especially in the Clásico. Uh, that really didn't stand out to me as uh, as like, oh, what is Leo Messi doing? So I'm, okay. I'm a little bit surprised that you're bringing it up, but maybe I missed something. Well, um, you know me. There's no one who loves and excuses trash talk more than I do. So um, come on, yeah, because okay. that's part of it. If you're for it, then I'm for it. I just I don't Absolutely. I don't like the I I felt like the intent was malicious, and that's why I didn't like it. That's why it didn't sit well with me. Um, everything else, but you know me. I mean, like. I, I, I generally actually think trash talk is good for the game. I, you know, I think it makes it more exciting. I think it's more fun. And this sure. Clasico, despite there being nothing at stake on the table... It was fantastic. From minute sense. one to 90, Diego, it was edge-of-your-seat yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that's why we love Clasico. And anyone who went into this game said, saying anything about, oh, I'm not interested in this Clasico, they were lying. This is, it's always fun. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what else. Anybody that said that, you know, this classical means nothing, this classical, no, they're not playing for anything. You're either very new to this game, you either have not seen many classicals before, or you just don't really care for, for football because to call a classical meaningless uh, sound is just a little. It, it just sounds, it doesn't sound right, <laughs> you know? I don't know. There's never been a Clásico that has left me indifferent, that has left me bored, that has left me, you know, not wanting more. I don't care how boring or, you know, for lack of a better word, how insignificant a Clásico may have been. A Clásico is always a Clásico, and there's always talking points or, you know, it's a spectacle, man. It's the biggest game in club football and we have to appreciate any moment that we're giving, uh, that we're given, you know, seeing so many, so much talent out on the pitch. So uh, it's a treat, and tonight certainly didn't disappoint. So let's talk about the football then, because um, that's mm. what we both want to talk about. So I was, I liked the lineup that Zidane rolled out. I liked the 4 3 3 for reasons I've discussed before in Manager. Yeah, I knew you would. Yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the main reasons I like it is because. It's Bale's ideal position, and if you can get the yeah. good version of Bale, you're mm-hmm. going to have a net extra dimension to your attack. And also, the other thing it does, it it gets the best out of Modric because when you have Bale on the right, and there was plenty of examples in this game where he did a lot of good defensive work. Um, mm. the, the Bale defensively was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And uh, this is I thought defensively he was incredible and and, and offensively he, he luckily wasn't I mean despite that cracking goal that he scored I felt that he was lacking a bit on the offense but yeah well sorry. this is the biggest case for Bale at that position it's that when he's not if his offense isn't flowing or if his offense um, isn't connecting with the rest of the team or he's isolated as a striker you put him on the wing he brings so much more to the table if other things aren't happening mm-hmm. um and in this case, and any time he plays in this position in a 4-3-3, Modric, you get the best version of Modric too because Modric isn't playing as like a de facto right back where he's like a deep right winger helping the right back. And this way, Bale does that stuff and Modric can be freed to, to kind of be in the middle and push a bit higher up the pitch and, and pull, thing, pull things offensively. And I don't think this was Modric's best game by any means. However... He in he was able to 
kind of connect the dots a bit offensively. Him and Benzema and Kroos, I thought, were were for large stretches of this game, like the, the main points of the offense. And, and you can kind of throw in Marcelo there too. And mm-hmm. Bale made a lot of runs off the ball and he just didn't see it. And his touches reflect that. But then he pops up and scores that, that beautiful goal. But I think... Um, so, so I like the lineup. And what I think, Diego, you mentioned Barcelona dominated the start. And I think they, they did. They were the better team to start the game. I also didn't uh, have any general issues with the way Real Madrid were playing at start, apart from the fact that they had this suicidal high line, and especially in behind Marcel, there was a lot of runs and long balls in behind. And mm. before Suarez scored that magnificent goal, and it was really a beautiful goal, because I, I was tweeting from the managing Madrid account, and I mentioned that Suarez scored, and to be honest, it was actually quite beautiful, the build-up and the finish and everything. But it mm. came from that that Real Madrid high line and the way they were defending it and the way they're kind of just their positioning was all out of whack. And mm. one of the most underrated things that happened after Sergio Roberto got sent off was mm. Real Madrid were able to breathe on that side. And yeah. those dribbles that Roberto was doing, they just ceased to exist after that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I think we should point out as well that in those first 45 minutes, Sergio Roberto was, uh, or Sergio Roberto, as you say, was, I think, one of the best players out there uh, for Barca. I thought that he was, he was having before, yeah. a stellar performance, and it was a, a shame that he, you know, ejected himself out of the game. Because um, I would have loved to have seen another 45 minutes uh, with both teams, you know, at, at full force and and. Cristiano Ronaldo, including, uh, it's a shame that he had to leave. But um, you know, I, I man, I, I concur in, in all the points that you've made. Um, and I mean, where you know, where where do I add something on? I, I don't really because I mean, after those four, after those forty-five minutes, just everything changed in in the second <clears throat> half. The second half was bizarre from the get-go where I thought, you know, okay, this is going to now turn into a horror show after what has been a very entertaining first half. Uh, and it was initially. I mean, it was just avalanche after avalanche of Madrid, you know, having the ball, dominating the ball, pressuring and and, and, and retaining the ball, but also re- recuperating the ball back very quickly. And then almost out of nowhere, we get the 2-1, and Madrid starts shaking in their boots, and it looked like Barca was feeling very comfortable on the ball and, and also able to retain uh, possession. Yeah. By the way, and this is something I don't see a lot of people talk about, and I'm wondering why, and not to go back to the refereeing decisions, but um, you do realize that as well we should be, along with all of the other refereeing mistakes of you know the, the 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 fact that it was a foul on Suarez on Baran et cetera et cetera all the ones that we've already been talking about uh I don't see a lot of people talking about the three one say it again the, the goal this messy second goal that was called for offside oh once he scored that was not an offside that should have counted and that should that would have been a three one I'll be really honest with you. I think at that point I was writing my my recap, so I may have missed it. I've heard about this. I'll have to mm-hmm. go back and look at it. Um, 
so I, I honestly just won't comment on it, but I'll take your word right. for it. Yeah. In, in any case, it, it just kind of, it just, uh, at that point, it just showed how comfortable Barca was on the ball, uh, despite being, you know, down uh, to 10 men. Um, and then Madrid got back into it. Then, you know, the power shifted once more towards uh, Madrid's favor. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, you know, when 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 uh, I think all the culés were kind of hoping that uh, we would walk away with the three points, when you then see Madrid, you know, get comfortable again and manage to get the 2-2 through uh, an absolutely fantastic play between Asensio and, and Bale, uh, it was then a matter of just counting down the minutes and hoping that we could at least keep the unbeaten streak alive. And I certainly was hoping, you know, that it would end on a two-two. Uh, even though there were chances for I think both teams to take the win. Uh, that, that's why in the end, you know, I, I make peace with the two-two. I think it's a fair result. I think Madrid will have walked uh, away with a, a fire uh, being ignited in their dressing room. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, them looking forward to the Champions League final, they'll certainly be able to take a whole lot away from this game. Uh, I think they'll probably thinking, look, in the Champions League final, we cannot be so forgiven and we need to come out with more conviction. And in Barca's case, you know, like I said, continue their unbeaten run. They managed to do a little uh, ceremony there in, in tribute for to uh, Andres Iniesta as well as winning La Liga. So... All in all, uh, yeah, I think just positive. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot in what you said there. And I think the the idea that this was a fair result, I think, is fair in itself. And I think if you look at the expected goals, both of these teams were pretty much level. And the idea that an extra man may or may not... Uh, or, or what is your expectation if, if you're up a man or down a man... Mm. Um, Previous Clásicos may have taught us that it's not really clear-cut if you if the opposing team gets a red card that you're just going to fly home and, and just coast the game and get three points. We mm. saw it last year at the Camp Nou when was it Ramos who got sent off and Real Madrid yeah. scored one or two goals to win it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and momentum shifts, and you, sa- you said it, like the momentum shifts in this game were actually quite... Uh, quite a roller coaster, and they were, mm. they have been in previous games at the Camp Nou Classico, at the Camp Nou specifically, because I mm. feel like um, it is possible that Real Madrid play Barcelona better in the Camp Nou than they do at Definitely. home. Definitely. And um, we can chalk it up. Zizou to, hasn't lost yet. Yeah, and we can chalk it up to whatever we think it is, and probably just pressure. Um, mm. But. So and and I felt right when when Barcelona scored, I really felt comfortable knowing that Real Madrid wouldn't lose any confidence because they quite often over the years they have gone down a goal in the Camp Nou and then immediately after they pretended zero zero and then they score um, mm. and they're very comfortable and nothing changes for them and and um, their experience just kind of shines through and I and I knew they would bounce back after they conceded that goal and they did. I was disappointed they didn't capitalize more. You mentioned briefly Diego yeah. Ronaldo, um, mm. how it was a shame that he, you know, he had to leave along with Roberto, and he had seven shots in the first half. Mm. Um, it's which is staggering amount, and and not all of those were good chances, but two of them that he missed were, and mm. um, and that That's was funny. among that spell. I really felt like basically after Real Madrid conceded and they scored, and then Real Madrid, they tied it up. 
they basically came in waves. And I think there was definitely a moment from that from that moment yeah. on to the end of the first half, Real Madrid looked the yeah. better side. And then Barcelona came sure. out better, more hungry. I don't know if it was a psychological thing where Real Madrid said, okay, we have them where we want them. We're, we're up a man and we got this. Maybe there yeah. was some complacency there kicking in and Barcelona le- leapt on it and they were more hungry. Mm. And then Real Madrid took control of the ball. And I think like basically towards the end, it was a bit back and forth, but Real Madrid were a bit more dangerous. Um, yeah. But again, I think 2-2 was fair. Um, ignore the referee um, because he he was an idiot either way. And um, mm. and if and if you separate that, I think the result based on the football was fair. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. Um, I'm disappointed we didn't we didn't end the unbeaten run because there's no way you're going to lose it now. Um, so that's that. But. Well, that, I mean, that, that that was really like my biggest uh, worry at that point when you talk about that final, uh, you know, those final, say, 20, 15 minutes where the momentum shifted in, in Madrid's favor uh, and with the score tied to all, I was just I was just thinking, listen, just don't just just don't lose this, you know, mm-hmm. don't lose this, make it a uh, keep the unbeaten streak alive, but also keep it a a, a a happy occasion because this was also the sending off uh the final sending off of andres iniesta in his final classico which by the way i you know what i really would have liked and love to have seen and i know probably you call you're gonna call me a cheesy romantic or whatever but when um what was it it was very early in the second half i think it was 15 20 minutes in that he was substituted out and uh, of course, all the players, you know, the emotions are uh, are, are high. The, the adrenaline is running at, at 120 kilometers an hour. But I would have loved to have seen, you know, a couple of maybe because you know the Barca players obviously smacked his ass and, and bit him for a while as he walked off. But I would have liked to have seen it from a few of the Madrid captains as well, in particular Sergio Ramos, knowing. You know how friendly they are. Just to, since there was no pasillo, etc. Uh, at least, you know, give this man uh, a kind of maybe a special send off on his final clasico. It would have been a nice gesture. Yeah, I felt that the Iniesta sub was very anticlimactic. I, I was expecting mm. it to be a bigger moment, but it wasn't. Right. Mm. You mean at the end, waiting for the end, or, or? Well, I I did I kind of tuned out at the end completely because I was writing reports and stuff, and but right. even the substitute itself, I expected that mm-hmm. to be a bigger moment than it was, and I expected um, at least some Real Madrid players to go over and kind of just give him a handshake or something as he was walking yeah. off. I was surprised we didn't, and I remember kind of I, it was also at the peak of you know. I wouldn't say peak, but it was a it was a fire it was a mid a bunch of fire basically. And but um, that's why, yeah, exactly. And uh, and I think if it was if that wasn't the case, maybe it would have been a bigger moment. I did see Zidane and Iniesta hugging in the tunnel. Oh man, that was awesome. Yeah, Listen, you saw that. My 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 yeah, mad respects to Zizou. Apparently, the guy waited for like five ten minutes for Andres Iniesta for him to finish all of his interviews in the tunnel just to uh, give him a little dab and a hug. So. Yeah. That's uh, that that that's the sh- that's the stuff I'm talking about. You know, crazy what I mean? that they play together against each other. Eh? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. But that's the stuff I, that that I like to. That's the stuff I like to see. And I know it sounds maybe corny, cheesy, whatever, uh, football romantic, whatever you want to call. It. But you know, at the end of the day, 
and this is something I, I always wanted to bring up with you and I always forget is that, you know, I played rugby for six years. Um, and in rugby, we do a pasillo every single match, whether you're on the receiving end or on the giving end. At the end of the match, the, the, the winning team gets a little pasillo. So, uh, and those are things, little sportsman uh, shows of, of show or, or signs of sportsmanship that I like that I would love to see in football as well. Um, and especially when it's, you know, just the, the, the two biggest clubs in the world that can set such an example. Um, so I like, I love that Zizou did that and I wish he, you know, he would have not done that necessarily behind the scenes, but you know, and where everybody could see it because, um, yeah, I think it just, uh, you know, it, a lot, a lot of, there's, there's so much talk going on, so much talk in the newspaper, so much talk on social media, culés and madridistas going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm all for that. I'm for trash talking as well. But uh, these kind of moments of respect needs to be highlighted uh, all the more because of that so we don't forget. Um, I think I think you know. social media has made it worse than it was. Mm. If, Probably. Because we, with before social media we just kind of stayed out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now you, everyone clashes with each other and follows each other. Uh, and everyone wants to, to jab, get their jab in. And I think our, our mutual friend, Alexa, Alexandra Johnson, who also does work with Lowdown, obviously among other yeah. places, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah. She tweeted a picture during the game. Uh, and it was a picture of Raul and Puyol having their arm around each other during a Clásico. And mm. she said uh, she misses when the Clásico had respect. Mm. And, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, um, I, <laughs> I got to tell you, I think if, if social media was around for that era, and it was for part of it, but if you want to go back even further to the turn of the century, um, I think it hasn't, been, it hasn't gotten worse in my opinion, I think sometimes we forget what what Classico has been historically. It's not; it's been ridiculous. If you go back to that era, um, whether it be Rivaldo and Hierro headbutting each other, um, or or kind of those those ridiculous, like you know, studs and cleats and red cards fights of you know turn of the century at both the Camp Nou and the Bernabeu. You want to go back to the Bam Bam Zamorano days. You want to go to the um, you know the the Redondo days, the the Luis Enrique days. It's always been bonkers, and I I think it's and throughout it, we've had these basically class acts, if you will. I don't, however you want to label them, who pop up, who both teams respect, whether it's Puyol, uh, Raúl, or or Iniesta. And but I I don't know if. I don't know if it's like if we've gotten to this stage where it's irreversible and it's worse than it ever was. I, I don't. No. It, it may be revisionist th- history at this point that people are, are trying to tell us that it used to be more classy or whatever. No, no, no. And 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 I hope that is not the message that you're getting from what I'm saying because it's not um, what I because what it's it's completely the contrary. What I am saying is that I love. The tension, I love the polemica, I love the the garra, the fight, the spirit, you know, the rivalry, um, and and 
for lack of a better word again, it's late at night, but hatred, if you will, that exists between our two clubs. I love that. I, I never, ever want that to disappear. Um, but all I am saying is that moments, moments, like unique moments, where whether it, it's involving uh, an event or uh, unique players, that those moments can o- should also be shared <clears throat> amongst our two clubs. Um just to, just to normalize and humanize certain situations, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think, uh, but you, yeah, I agree with you. And it, there's sometimes there's moments in sports, and it goes in any sport where you're just like, wow, that really brought everyone together, and it was mm-hmm, beautiful, mm-hmm. and it was magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think this Iniesta thing could be one of them, mm-hmm. um, or like. God forbid if there's, an, you know, generally if there's like a, a disaster and people kind of have to come together as human beings, you see mm-hmm. that a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think also that this, we also, like, it, after the game, and, and especially like in the Classico, everybody is, is back and they're friends again. And uh, we also can't, remember, can't forget that these guys are, are generally all friends off the pitch. And I think, yeah. you know, whether it's Zidane waiting in the locker room or these guys all go back to the national team and... And, that, and everything is okay again. It's it's probably a lot of these things. I feel it's possibly in the the heads of the fans mm-hmm. that they make it the way it is. When in reality, in it's it's far from this tension we we create in our heads. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas them, like behind the scenes and knowing each other, it's it's probably a lot less dramatic behind the scenes than, than we make it out to be. Probably less, yeah. But 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 you do see that that the tensions uh, kind of override onto the pitch. I mean, that's why um, there's polemica, right? That's why there is no never a classical without any polemica. Polemica, sorry, is um, controversy, right? I mean, uh, yeah. and and if it, if there wasn't, this wouldn't be as fun as it is now. And exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Anything else you want to to pinpoint here, like performance-wise, tactical, tactical or otherwise? I, I we, you and I, we had a little fun. The call debate, it debate, call yeah. it a little standoff, yeah, whatever it, it was. It's not even a debate because we don't even no. see each other's answers until after, <laughs> so why. we're not even responding to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This um, is, by the way, for those you listed for or missed it, La Liga Lowdown. Uh, Diego and I did this, like we answered questions. Um, David Garrido sent us questions and we recorded them on video and sent them in and it was put together on YouTube you can go go check it out on La Liga Lowdown's YouTube channel um, but sorry you were saying yeah I, I was saying there for the question um, that, that said the, the tactical aspect of the game yeah. I said that I'm hopeful or I would love and I, I said that I'm not expecting it but I would love to have seen Valverde been uh, or try to be maybe a little bit experimental and try a 4-3-3 with uh, Dembélé up top. Uh, now, of course, this is I was uh, once more the the dreamer, the romantic in me talking. I I fully expected him to come out with a 4-4-2, uh, um, but at at some point in the like, I mean, he even put Alcácer out for crying out loud, like. You know when when are we gonna play Dembele, dude? When is he gonna get you know some some significant minutes? And and I'm just my big worry is for next season, man. I'm uh, you know there there's already a very large sector of the culés who are, in my opinion, overly critical with Valverde. 
uh, and cannot appreciate uh, the doblete that we achieved this year. Um, now, you know, what I will say, uh, and, and, and you know that I always say that I believe that we overachieved this year, but what I will say is that I, I expect more from this team next season um, when he does have, say, all the players at his disposal and potentially, you know, despite the World Cup, as much of a preseason as possible. Like, I, my point being is that I do expect more from Valverde than this pragmatic 4 4 2. Uh, and I just wonder when and how he's going to change that, I guess. The, the Dembele topic is interesting because... Uh, but I, I also... If you're a Barca fan, I think... I don't know how worried you should be about it. Um, knowing that probably we're going to see him more integrated next year. Um, how, though? How? Because Dembele is not... He's, he's, he doesn't thrive. You cannot play that kid in a 4-4-2. He needs to be So you're up saying in the front. a formation change is needed. It's a, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, can. Yeah. But mm, and Valverde has stuck with the four four two pretty much all season. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And I initially thought that was just like a security measure, just uh, you know a damage control measure. But now you know he's he's repeatedly shown signs that you know actually no. Uh, even against Las Palmas, I'm not going to count on Dembélé. I'm going to stick to a four four two. I'm going to put in Paulinho. I'm going to put in Gomez. I'm going to you know. So he, Dem, Dembele, when, in the games he's played, mm. he's been on the right wing usually. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't been bad. I think, I think you want to see him higher up the pitch, obviously. I think he's, he surprised us with some of the good defensive work he's done. I think he's, but I, I also think like he, you just kind of, when you throw him in there, he looks, it genuinely looks like he's the newest acquisition even though he's not Coutinho is but like the fit yeah. with Coutinho has been much more seamless mm. um, and because Coutinho Who didn't have a good game today he I didn't really notice him much to be honest exactly yeah, yeah exactly um, oh by the way since we're on the subject I thought Rak- Rakitic was phenomenal for you guys mm-hmm. yeah I thought best season so his, far yeah he's been unbelievable this season um, yeah, yeah I, it's really amazing I don't have actually have a single note on Coutinho he came off at halftime for the sub, though, for the because you know because the red card. Yeah. So, the red card, card, yeah. so that's probably that's one reason why he did have. The only time I actually remember Coutinho is he fouled someone, and I remember being like, "Well, that's a foul," and that's it. That's all I remember from Coutinho. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what else, and 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 you know we're, we're shifting from Dembélé to Coutinho, but but this actually counts for both of them. When I noticed Coutinho was I think it was the twenty. 22nd or 23rd minute uh, of the first half, uh, Sergio Roberto was bitching him out. He was bitching out Coutinho saying, dude, I need help. Track back. <laughs> like, come and track back and mm-hmm. help me out in defense. You know, help me stop Marcelo, etc. And uh, one t- not to keep promoting this video, but what did I say in our little La Liga Lowdown uh, debate? I said, if Valverde plays... Uh, with Dembélé, or so no, uh, with uh, uh, with Paulinho, because I would have, I was actually expecting him to play with Paulinho, is to tell Paulinho or, or to, to make sure that Paulinho is disciplined enough to track back and help uh, Sergio Roberto out in defense, because all the new acquisitions fail to do so. Whether it's Paulinho, whether it's Coutinho, whether it's Dembélé, they don't 
track back. They they they're not very defensively sound. You know, they're a bit of a liability, and and that was something that uh, yeah really sparked my attention. Was was Sergio Roberto really giving Coutinho an earful, saying? You know, quite visibly saying, like, dude, I need your help. Where are you in defense? Like, you're, you know, I'm doing this this by myself. So, well, Coutinho was very high up the pitch generally. Yeah, uh, and um, and let's let's be clear. Like, I think again, we're going back to that Sergio Roberto red card. Was not only do you lose his dribbling, but you also take Coutinho out of the equation. So, like, your entire mm-hmm. right flank that you started with is gone in the yeah. second half, which is. Yeah. I mean, based on that alone, that you guys actually played the way you did in the second half, given that that was such a dramatic change for you, that, mm, I mean, that in itself was pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. Um, Dembele. So let's assume Valverde has a whole summer to work with him. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of figure out his scheme. You also have to remember, if, let's say 4 for 2 or not, Iniesta's gone. Will yeah. Paulinho be that prominent? Maybe not. Will Andre Gomez be prominent? Maybe not. So you basically have Busquets and Rakitic as your two, yeah. and Coutinho. So that's three. Yeah. It's possible that he can go back to a four three into a four three three. You're mm. you're running thin on central midfielders at this point with Iniesta gone. And, and then and then and then and then uh, reportedly Griezmann is coming. So yeah, you and how, I talked how, about how this before. Fit? We have no idea what how that even happens. Yeah. It's just crazy. You can't, I feel like there's no yeah. organization. Like this is. Well, hold uh, on, hold on. Let, let's let's be clear. I think if you get Griezmann, that's actually pretty scary. Um, if you, if you're replacing, mm, yeah, I, I, the, in a vacuum, Griezmann is an incredible footballer. Um, and he's having low key to me one of his best seasons of his career. Even though we're not gonna notice his career as, as this season as stand up for him. Um, some of the things he's doing off ball, kind of just like his his pressing, but also his ability to like just see passes and and through passes for Atletico, who have otherwise been quite lethargic going forward. Um, I think he's had a phenomenal season, and I think if you put him in Barca, I think he will actually fit quite well. How you basically? I, I mean, this is this is what you don't this is what you don't want to hear, but he's a better version of Dembele. Right. Um, I, pro- I probably agree at this point. Uh, in fact, I wholeheartedly agree. But then we got to sell Dembélé then. If you tell me, then if you tell me, well, yeah, Diego, that's... you guys got to sell Dembélé, then I would be, I would say yes. But if, if, if there are Kules out there that are expecting Griezmann to come and us to play a 4-3-3, uh, or even a 4-4-2 for that matter, with you know Dembélé, Coutinho, Griezmann, Messi, Suarez... All that I'm in the starting eleven, that's just impossible. It's no, just, yeah, it's I don't just think, ridiculous. I don't think Dembele would start at all. Definitely not. Right. So then the question is, do you do you cash in on him? Well, cash in is you're probably going to lose money because no one's going to pay the same amount you paid for him. But yeah. Or wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We, what we paid is 105 million. I, I, I'm pretty sure we could get 100 mil at least back. You don't think We're his not value? You don't think his value has dropped in this time frame? To to what? Okay, say maybe eighty. Yeah, that's a loss. Okay, maybe. <laughs> no, I know it's a loss. Okay, no, but, but still, my, I would take. I my would take feeling 80. is well. There's two ways to look at it. One is, 
it would be from your perspective it would make no sense to give up on him because he's still to me despite this season which is not really his fault because he's been injured and then he's mm-hmm. been thrown into the fire in a very unfamiliar scheme new country all this for obvious reasons it's not fair mm-hmm. to him and it's not his fault um and he's still despite all that one of the most promising young footballers on earth and mm-hmm. has an insanely promising future mm-hmm. um and to keep him would would make total sense and uh you want to be patient with him so even yeah. if it means he gets benched and he just strengthens your depth so instead of Alcacer coming on it's it's Dembele as your first man off the bench or he's the guy who starts when let's say theoretically Griezmann or 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 anyone else is suspended or injured mm. or rotated he's there the flip mm. side is exactly how are Barcelona's finances right now and could you afford to buy a Griezmann without mm. freeing up cash and wages elsewhere I mean that's 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 you know that's all speculative talk in the end at the end of the day that's something that Bartomeu would have to answer and then you, you'd always wonder if you're getting the, the the truthful answer but you know I don't know obviously is the question what what does seem clear is that Barca is in the front running to obtain the services of Griezmann and although we're talking about Griezmann and Dembele being the, the, the sacrificial lamb so to speak of uh, his potential arrival I actually think that it would be Luis Suarez the one that would have to yeah. either no, ex- accept being on the bench or, or maybe you know leave <laughs> um, because if Barca <clears throat> continues to play with a 4-4-2 then you would expect Griezmann and, and Messi to play up at the top that that is true. I think some somehow I forgot to talk about Luis Suarez at all. Um, I would say that I think Luis Suarez has had a much better season than other people ha- think he's had. Um, Me too. Today also proved it again. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I don't. I'm not a Kule, but if I was, I don't know if I'd want that to happen. Suarez yeah, brings but that's, a lot to the table. But that's what that's that's why, man. These these are these are kind of unsettling times because it's just uh, you know when you read and hear the the rumors of, of players arriving like like Griezmann, etc. You, I just kind of wonder, you know, what is 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 Balverde even involved? You know, that's that's the first thing that I wonder. Because I'll tell you what, Paulinho wasn't Valverde's, wasn't a Valverde signing. Uh, Dembélé wasn't a Valverde signing. Um, you know, who else? Coutinho wasn't a Valverde signing. <laughs> like Griezmann, uh, I'm sure that wasn't a Valverde or won't be if he comes a Valverde signing. Because these are all names that have been in newspapers forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, we all know that uh, Robert Fernández has had a hard on for these guys and he's the one that is pulling the strings and bringing these players in and and I just wonder you know we we all put the blame on Valverde when things go wrong but does he really have the team that he wants you know is is uh, and we all want him to play a 4-3-3 but but he I mean he can't uh, not with the players that he has and 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 again uh, to reiterate myself does he have the players that he wants I I, I doubt it you know yeah. so so um, I think let's let's take a question about this from a patron um, yeah. about Valverde. And then actually, I'll probably let you go very soon because um, I'm going to do a part two. I'm going to answer a patron question. So 
Um, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge if you like the show, if you want to get different rewards, guaranteed responses to your questions, access to private shows, etc. Um, private shows? That yeah. sounds kinky. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think you just turned everyone off of who might have considered pledging. It's over now. They're, now their their mind is corrupted. Um, one of our patrons, Risto, says, "How would you rate Valverde from a tactical perspective, management, and management skills? I would like to hear dead cold, honest observations about that. Thank you. Keep doing the good job." Risto didn't know that this was going to be directed towards you. But I thought mm-hmm. it would be, might be interesting for you to to answer this question from your perspective. I will say something really quickly. Yeah, um, I, I rate Valverde quite, and I, and, and I mention this to you almost every week on Trudorsi Tacticus podcast, because of what he's done to uh, turn the noise off from the outside. Yeah. Um, Amid a very dramatic season, dramatic summer, a lot of distractions, a lot of politics, a lot of um, a lot of noise, he turned it off. Um, implemented some of the tactical stuff that his predecessors did, but also changed it to his style. Um, there are definitely still moments where you see the counter press very alive and well, even in today's classical, he did. But also, they don't press as much. They 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 drop off quite a bit. They're comfortable without the ball, maybe more so than other versions of Barca have been. And also this four four two, which obviously you've talked about quite a bit. But this this version where Histro says, I would like to hear dead cold, honest observations about him, management and management skills. Um, how do you feel about him? An overachiever. An overachiever. Okay. A guy who came in when, you know, the storm was at his peak. El ojo del huracán, the, the eye of the hurricane, was, uh, you know, right in the middle of the Camp Nou, crashed out of the Supercopa de España in dramatic fashion against uh, your beloved club. And like you said, he managed to take the bull by the horns, despite all odds being against him, um, and just, you know, steer the bull and, and or calm him down and steer the ship in, in, in the right direction all the way to uh, Doblete, the eighth Doblete in this club's history, winning the Copa and La Liga in incredible fashion, unbeaten fashion, potentially. Um, like you said, I had to do deal with so much. The the, the, the traumatic departure of uh, a superstar, the likes of Neymar, the arrival of <clears throat> a player uh, at a record fee, uh, 20 year, 19, 20 year old kid who then uh, injures himself, is out for half the season, re injures himself. So, you know, has to manage him, a very young and fragile kid. Uh, then, midway through the season, has another, then the, the next record uh, transfer arrive at the club who you know, is in preseason mode, needs to adapt him to into his system, a, a different Barca system, more pragmatic. Uh, so he has to deal with a lot of scrutiny coming from within the camp itself, The whether it's newspapers, whether it's fans, whether it's even the board of directors who the day of the Copa del Rey final leak to the local Barcelona press that 
even if he wins the Copa del Rey and La Liga, he still might get the boot. Um, that makes his way its way to the locker room. Despite that, you know, he manages to, or the team and, and, and him manage to go out and uh, beat Sevilla 5-0, win the Copa del Rey. And uh, that is after, of course, crashing out of the Champions League in what can only be described as an inexplicable and almost, almost <laughs> unforgivable fashion um, after having gone up for one in the first leg and then crashing out three nil in uh, in Roma. So um, I have the utmost respect for him. Like I said, all of the other reasons as well, just just for how he is able to uh, manage a team that that uh, of which I I am very doubtful he has any sort of say on on which players will arrive and and which ones should leave. Um, so man, we we should all just tip our hats off. I mean, oh, I say oh, everybody, but in particular the Kules, and at least give him, you know, one more season to this poor guy to see exactly, you know, how just how wonderful of a, a tactical mind he has. Let's not forget that this is a son of Johan Cruyff as well. Uh, he played under Johan Cruyff in the, and He's learned from him. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and and Cruyff back in the day had only had nothing but good words uh, of this man as well. So yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I want it's uh, it's almost three a.m. where you are, and tomorrow's a work day. Uh, although I don't know I, if you're working tomorrow, but of course, man, Monday. But um, I'm gonna leave you with a few quotes from Ramos after the game. I'm just gonna Go just ahead. gonna fire them at you, and right. you know me. It, it's not meant anything other than the fact that I just think they're interesting and uh, yeah. they're fun. And you know how much I enjoyed what PK said to Ramos about the Paseo, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I like yeah. the banter. Um, yeah. Some of these quotes will were, are are quite nice, probably for you to hear. Other other ones might might make you laugh. I don't know. So this mm -hmm. is a roller coaster. Get ready. He no. says, Barca has not won the league by referees. They have been better. They are the champions. And with Iniesta, we're losing one of the biggest players. Very nice. Mm. Um, he also said, uh, he said a lot of things about Messi. Among them, he said that Messi went and put pressure on the referee in the tunnel at halftime. Mm -mm. And uh, he doesn't think that any cameras caught it, but... Later, Cadena Ser came on, basically said um, what Messi has said the referee was that you're shit, you're shit, you're shit. <laughs> and um, what is the referee to do in that situation? There's no card to give in that situation. It's either a red or you don't say anything. And um, and that's and that. Anyways, that's um, I don't believe in conspiracies, but I just thought that was interesting to point out. Um, mm -hmm. And one, this quote made me laugh. He said. This is about Luis Suarez. He said, <laughs> everyone comes from their parents. We are not here to educate anyone. I have enough with the three children that I have at home. And that's what the referee is for. There's your banter for tonight. Nice. Yeah. Go on, Ramos. Yeah. Um, all in all, I think that this was a fun Clásico. It gave us a ton yeah. of talking points, even though it meant nothing in in terms of the standings. Yeah. But it was it was fun, and it's and it's nice to have these moments in the season 
to look forward to when other games are really you're just kind of you're going through the motions watching them because you have to cover them it's nice to have these a moment like this to cover and have fun with so um, yeah, I, I t- yeah. I st- I'll tell you though, I was still on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I, was I think we all were. I think we all were. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let me ask you something. Since you, uh, oh wow, I thought you would have been excited to go to bed, but okay. <laughs> well, I I just I figured we should end maybe the or at least the segment that I'm involved with uh, with the following. Um, says your Roberto red card. <clears throat> okay. You agree? Yes. Yes, of course. Bell should have gotten a red card. Yes. Uh, foul on... Um, ¿Cómo se llama el tío? Baran? Yes. I By agree. the way, Luis Suarez said that he was a foul too. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, said it was a, he said it was a little bit of a foul. Uh, Apparently, so... he told Baran in the game, he's like, I fouled you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Of course he did, but it's so evident. Yeah. Uh, penalty on Marcelo? Si, sí, claro. Oh my God, we didn't talk about that, did we? No. Yeah, so I'm bringing, see, I'm bringing that up. Yeah, thank you. Okay, yes, I agree. So so right now we're, we're four from four. We're all agreeing on the points, the mm-hmm. four points. I think, I think the four, say, Polimikas, the four controversies. Yeah. And then uh, goal, falsely, disallowed the offside on Messi yeah, which I haven't seen but I'm going to take your word for it if I go later and I find out that that's not true you're going to hear it though oh well me too I, I the thing is I think I've seen it enough times for it to to know that that wasn't offside but there you go five points we all agree did Messi get booked for his tackle on Ramos <clears throat> uh, he got yellow okay yeah I think he got yellow I'm pretty sure he got yellow yeah 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 okay um yeah, I think that's that's about right. Mm. That's about right. And let's be clear. Let's make it clear to every La Liga fan, every Real Madrid fan, every Barcelona fan that there is no conspiracy against your team. The referees mm-hmm. in La Liga have just been terrible. Mm-hmm. And they've been terrible for a while. Oh, by the way, I don't know if this is interesting. Just before I let you go, we talk yeah. about often, um, especially in Serie A, like how many... With with VAR coming in and in Syria, how many up. how many teams have actually made mistakes after looking at the VAR, which is fascinating. Ah, yes. And this is the latest theory of um, of why it may not work. It's not because we don't need the technology; we clearly do. Mm. Um, there was a moment in the Australian Football League mm. where there was a goal uh, disallowed, I think even though it was clearly onside or offside, mm. one or the other. Mm. It, it was offside, sorry. The goal was ca- called back for offside, even mm. though it, uh, either way, it was the incorrect call. They go to the VAR, and even though the VAR tells them the, the opposite, they decide to stick with their decision. And people think it's because referees, they have too much pride and dignity to... To admit they were incorrect about something. Are you serious? Yeah. So there's something else that I heard that was that was that's bound to uh, create some uh, extra controversy for next year. With you call it VAR here, they call it VAR. Yeah, same thing. Uh, when when VAR is being introduced, yeah. And that's something I didn't know. Maybe you know, but did you know that with VAR, let's say, um, 
like you know, uh, okay, l- let's say Luis Suarez commits that foul on Baran, the play continues, right? Um, and the referee decides not to call or has didn't see that foul or doesn't doesn't call that foul, whatever. Just let's play continue because of uh, giving advantage or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The if a goal is then scored, apparently what you can do with VAR is you have the right to rewind up to three minutes back to see if any foul was committed. And then if a foul was committed within those three minutes, a referee has the right to disallow that goal. Hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's interesting. I, I haven't heard that. I think, would you be annoyed if they took up to go back three minutes, though? Well, I, I just game? don't... I just don't know how that's going to work. I mean, does that mean there's going to be a break of for three minutes where they're just going to look at three minutes of tape? Uh, I, I think every that would time, be a nightmare or, if that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Th- I, I this is why really... I think they should only stick to obvious things. Like if mm. they're going to go back and, and, and find three minutes ago, oh, Ramos pulled on Rakitic's shirt. Uh, let's, let's call it all the way let's back. Let's call it a foul. I think that right. would be absurd. Yeah, yeah, that didn't make sense. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that yeah. up. Um, I yeah, I, I've had it up to here. I I'm really look not looking forward to game four of the the, the next game in Cleveland, where uh, who knows what awaits us. But the baby Raptors, man, you guys have got some work, to, serious work to do. We'll get there. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll talk about it another day. You're tired right now. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, no? I the, the other reason, like, I have to talk in a lower voice, not only because it's almost 3 a.m., but I have my son in literally next to me in the little room and then my wife in the other little room. So uh, <laughs> they're all sleeping. I need to talk with a low voice. So if this was a little bit l- low on energy, less energetic, less feisty than what people expected, my apologies. Um, you are definitely much more uh, animated for the Churrosi Tacticas podcast. <laughs> um, so for those of you listening, you may or may not have liked this show. I don't know. Um, if you did, yeah, I'm sorry. if you did, Diego and I record every single Monday um, and uh, we discuss all of La Liga, not just Real Madrid Barcelona. Tomorrow, Diego has a day off because we're, Jerry Armstrong is coming on Churros y Tacticas That's exciting. to discuss La Liga. I'm sure Classico will be at the top of the agenda, too. Um, Jerry Armstrong is, is one of my faves. Uh, I like his Legend. commentary. Such yeah. a kind man. Yeah, yeah. kind of a voice I grew up with. Mm. Um, Diego Lorin, get some sleep. Thank you for joining right, me. Um, it's always fun. It's, all, it's always love, and you know that. So I uh, hope you have a good too. night's sleep, and we'll talk soon. Take care, buddy. Me too, Kian. Thanks, man. All right. Welcome to part two of the Managing Major Podcast. Um, Kian Subani here continuing this, uh, this second part. I hope you enjoyed the first part with Diego Lorin. Ran a bit longer than I thought it would, um, but that tends to happen when Diego and I go on the mics. And, uh, and so I hope you, you liked it, and I apologize if it went over. But also, you may have liked it, so maybe I shouldn't apologize. I thought it was a fun discussion, and if you liked it, basically that's what Diego and I do every Monday on Churrosic Tacticas, where we kind of encompass all of La Liga um, and talk about all of Spanish football, whether it's the national team and the rest of the league and, and etc. So um, the second part, which I didn't want to keep Diego around for, was the questions from our patrons. 
um, because a lot of these will be very Real Madrid focused and um, and uh, it was also obviously very late in Barcelona where he is. He needed to sleep. So we're going to ju- jump into it. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge if you want to get guaranteed responses to your questions, among other rewards. Uh, and we have, as you probably know by now, an infinite amount of questions that come in every week. So we kind of have no choice but to only focus on the guaranteed questions. So if you're a patron and you're not getting your questions answered, you can, I guess, bump up your pledge to $5 to get guaranteed responses. Um, but may you may not care about that. You're just happy to listen to the patron shows. Who knows? So Thomas Berg says, Suarez surely must be the filthiest of the filthiest. Um, it was a super performance from Kovacic in the few minutes he got. I would have liked to have seen him way sooner. Um uh, and I like when he plays higher up the pitch and not as the the single pivot. How can we get him into the 11 versus Liverpool? By the way, I don't think Casemiro shows enough. He was sloppy defending on the Messi goal, etc. So I agree on, on Kovacic in the limited minutes he got. Um, he had one insane tackle, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, I can't remember which Barca player it was on, but he prevented a counterattack and actually won possession masterfully well, and it was incredible. I'm going to defend Casemiro here. So I didn't see any other questions about Casemiro uh, in the guaranteed ones. So I'm going. To, I'm just going to tell it like it is right now. I think this was one of Casemiro's best games of the season. It may be harsh to, to kind of chastise him on the Messi goal where the play should have been called back long before. And even if it wasn't, Ra- Messi basically just takes two or three brilliant touches with his left foot and and goes both around Ramos and Casemiro. Maybe Casemiro dove in, but it's messy and it's going to be hard to dispossess him regardless. Casemiro, I thought, was phenomenal in retaining possession for Real Madrid. Um, in my notes, I've like written each minute where he's done an in, insanely important intervention and winning balls that he really didn't have business winning. So... Um, he may actually be the focal point of my next column. I'm not sure yet because I thought he was that good in this game. Possibly the best Real Madrid player on the pitch. Possibly. Um, obviously, it's you know there were other standouts. Um, I thought Kroos was very good in the funnel after kind of starting a bit leg heavy. Um, his touch was brilliant on the opening goal to kind of get himself into space on the counterattack. And I thought... Um, Bale was nice defensively, didn't really do too much offensively, but he was dangerous on the counterattack. His goal was brilliant. He made a lot of great off-ball runs that no one saw. Benzema, I think he was also very good in this game. Um, Obviously far from a traditional nine and not a pure goal scorer, but his four key passes um, is a telling stat for a team that um, at times looked a bit confused. which I'll get to in a second because there's a question about uh, Asensio and whatnot. Um, so I'll save it for a bit. But Casemiro had seven tackles and two interceptions amid all this. And all of those tackles were like these last-ditch tackles where if he doesn't get it perfectly, that is either a yellow card or uh, Barcelona are off and running in a very dangerous position. So hats off to, to, to Casemiro. I think... I think he was quite good. Someone asked on Twitter if the fact that Casemiro had this many interventions, is that actually a good sign for the team? It's a valid question. Um, 
My answer to this is no. And this goes back to the Chabi Alonso famous quote that if your positioning is good, you shouldn't have to tackle it, etc. But it's not necessarily Casemiro's fault that the team gets in the positions he does. And this doesn't only apply to Casemiro, whether it's Ramos or Varan or that have to deal with last second stops or even Keylor Navas for that matter, who has to come up with big saves. You could argue, is it a good sign that Navas has to come up with those saves? You could argue no, but he's there and you have to be thankful that he's there to mop up the mess. And I think that's what Casemiro was in this game where, uh, you know, most people who listen to this podcast will know that I'm not a huge advocate for Casemiro. I thought he was brilliant in this game. I thought he had a ton of important interventions. I thought the team schematically, defensively, especially with that high line, didn't do too well to cope with a lot of Barcelona's attacks, but it was moments like those interventions that that prevented it from being worse than it was. Question from Blake Brown. He says, was that a WWE match or a soccer match? We deserved to win that game. We had two obvious calls that weren't made, one that cost us um, the Messi goal. I still think we were the better team, and I think that was a win for us. No Ronaldo in the second half, and trash calls made it a draw. What did you guys think of the three-man backline? I liked it a lot, and think maybe we should stick with it. Yeah, so some point during the second half, towards the end especially, um, which no one really talked about, or at least nothing that I saw, and maybe that's because I was writing my reaction, is that Zidane shifted to a three-man backline of sorts, with Casemiro dropping in between uh, Ramos and Varane, with with obviously Marcelo and then Lucas Vasquez when he came in on the, on that right flank. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it. We saw it in moments sporadically. This uh, last season we saw it in Balaidosa. It was a disaster to have Casemiro back there as a libero um, against Tottenham. It didn't look good. I understand it was fine today because we were up a man and... Um, a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 or however you want to do it, when you do it, like the kind of uh, Antonio Conte style type scheme is is fine for certain teams. I don't think it suits us. I think it suits us with the right personnel. I don't think Casemiro is the one to do it. If we do it, I would actually like to see Vallejo do it because Vallejo is very, very perfect for a three-man backline, And that's where he excelled in Frankfurt. I think it would work with a Ramos Varan Vallejo backline with Marcelo and Carvajal. That I think would be, it would be interesting, but I'd be surprised if we ever saw it from Zidane. Not this season, anyway. Uh, Manaswi Mishra, I hope I pronounced that right, says, "Who, according to you, are the top five managers in the world right now, and why?" I'm talking about the top European leagues only. Also, my feet is filled with Keon and Om. I love it. Um, you can never have too much Om. I don't know about the Keon part. I feel sorry for you if you're getting too many Keon tweets. But this question is interesting because it's it can be answered in a variety of different ways. And um, do you do you answer by saying who is it at this very moment who are the top five, or kind of do you take at least a sample size of a few years and a track record? Because these things can fluctuate quite a bit. For example. Antonio Conte would have been in the top five 100% if you did this question last year. Um, you know, someone like Leonardo uh, Jardin may have been in there because he did an amazing job with Monaco. Would he crack it this year? Probably not. Um, Jorgen Klopp and Guardiola have to be in it this year. Zidane probably has to be in the top five. 
does Valverde sneak in because of Barcelona's invincible season where he wasn't on anybody's radar last season? All these are important questions. Um, what do you do with Allegri, who was improved as a tactician, but Juventus arguably regress in the Champions League front? Um, but he's also proved his versatility, and I thought he's been he's been very good. Like he's 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 become much better actually this season as as, a coach, as opposed to last season. And Heinkes, who wasn't coaching last season, did an amazing job with Bayern this season. So. I have. I'm going to throw in all those names and and kind of just let you guys come to the conclusion because I don't think there are definitive answers to this. But if I really like gun to my head, had to answer it, I'd go Zidane, Guardiola, and by the way, no particular order: Zidane, Guardiola, Klopp. Um, I'm going to throw in Valverde because I think it's it's fair to have him in there because of the season they've had, um, despite the Roma blip which was a disaster for them and I think he's a bit he's he's a part of the blame for sure um but I I think the fact that he put Barca where they are today given where they were in the summertime I think that's admirable so that's four and then number five um oh like I didn't even talk about Pochettino but I don't know like if would you include Pochettino or not I'm gonna put Heinkes just for the season alone um this if you answered this again, like if this is a sample size of the past five years, this is this question is going to be a lot different. So, so and this this may change again, you know, next season. So we can revisit it. But again, I think this is kind of like a very loose list because this will fluctuate and this will be very subjective and this will change quite a bit uh, because it's a very polarizing question and um, and people's views of managers will, will fluctuate every week. Kunal Tilakar says, Hey, first of all, shout out to Gabe for pronouncing my name far better than a lot of Indians. Wow, good job, Gabe. I'm proud of you, buddy. Uh, Kunal says, I really think a win in the Classico will give us a huge mental boost going into the Champions League final. Obviously, this question came in beforehand. Uh, Do you think this game can be used as a dress rehearsal for the final? Or are the teams and hence the tactics going to be different? Also, I am a seafarer and I'm off the grid for six months at a stretch. When I left the last time, we had just bashed Barca in the Supercopa and Zidane had got most of his tactics right at the end of last year with Isco and Zidane's diamond thriving despite certain issues. I came back to all-around criticism to Zidane's tactics and people saying that we are winning despite those tactics and not because of them. What changed so drastically in those six months? So this, this second part of the question is really fascinating to me. Because I think it's fascinating the idea that you may actually just go for six months and not know knowing what happened and then come back and see everything on fire. And um, if if you froze somebody after the Super Cup and brought them fast forwarded them and and, and defrosted them now and there they'd be so confused as to what's happening. And basically, Kunal, if that's the case, if you have no Wi-Fi or anything, it's it's hard for you to follow. Or maybe you're listening to the podcast but not able to watch the games. I'm not sure. Um, essentially, what happened when we've, we've recapped this so many times is that Real Madrid's transition defense fell apart. The coverage from Marcelo fell apart. That wonky thing that Casemiro does where he, he bombs forward and Modric and Kroos covered for him, he does that when people aren't covering for him. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo and 
the whole team for that matter couldn't score a goal to save their lives so they were underperforming their expected goals for months um and then i think just like the press was disjointed there was there was a lot of i guess lack of a bit of cre- lack of creativity in the final third but also I think the biggest thing offensively was just the finishing and then defensively were the things we mentioned. So some of that's been rectified, some of them not. Uh, against Bayern, a lot of things were still problematic that we got away with. And so those are, the, I guess, the main talking points, Kunal. And each of those has its own own talking point that you could dive into for a long podcast or you can revisit my article um, about anything, really. If you actually, maybe a good way, for, if you really have time, Kunal, and you're really bored out of your mind and you really care enough, I guess. If you go to um, managingmadrid.com slash Keon's dash observations, you can see every single one of my columns and you can kind of just scroll through the headlines and see the ones that are, you know, that have the word problem or issues or things to solve or tactical miscues or whatever. You can kind of go through and get the gist of the issues we've had over the course of the season. Question from Christopher McCormick. This one also, I think, came in before the classic, where we can take it. Um, I have a question about the style. It seems for a long time Madrid have gone into every El Clasico, be it home and away, and we sit back and we hit Barca on the counter. Now, up until recently, I was content with that. We were a notable level below Barca for a long time. However, I feel now we are more than a match for them and our hit him on the counter tactic is outdated and arguably not as effective as it once was. What do you think? Would you like to see Madrid take a more progressive approach versus Barca or is it too much of an ask or too much of a risk? So I generally, I'm fine either way as long as it wins and and it looks acceptable. And so I've never been the type of person who generally thinks it's more aesthetically pleasing to to win a game by having 75% possession and knocking about. And I appreciate that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Actually, I do enjoy it. Um, I In the Zidane playing era, that was very much our, st- our style where we would defend with the ball and pass the ball in the final third as our way of defending. And it looked quite beautiful and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And we see plenty of examples of that under Zidane in, in certain games. I also have no issues, or nor do I think it's less aesthetically pleasing to see Real Madrid counterattack because I think the resources are there. So I have no issue either way. I would say, Christopher, I always hated the idea that we might have an inferiority complex going into any game given who we are and the, the resources we have. I always felt like we are we should be going into each game putting our throat our, our foot on the throats of the opponent. And um, and I think we have the resources to to do that. And I think you will kind of see that shift happening and you have already seen it naturally. So while we have hit Barca on the counter quite a bit, I don't think we've been inferior to them for a, for a few years now. And I would say that an example of that, Christopher, is that today you saw the possession was basically 50-50 the entire game. And there was large stretches for this game that Barcelona fans were just booing Real Madrid for minutes because Real Madrid was just knocking the ball around. And um, and that's kind of the, the shift that you'll see, I think, because Real Madrid's midfield is so, so elite at being able to keep the ball. Now, I know we didn't see that against Bayern much, 
and I and I didn't like the way that looked to be honest because I thought it was uneasy and it was a bit lucky or maybe not lucky depending on what your interpretation of luck is if if you think Ramos and Baran and Kaler saving the team over and over again was was not luck and 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 that's fine to think that way but I also think that we got away with certain things our midfield wasn't compact and wasn't able to control the tempo to take advantage of Byron's space as often as I would have liked to see it so I like the idea, given the resources we have, that we should go into every game to dictate the flow of the game, to really control the tempo and be in, and have have the fate in our own hands. Um, that is something. That is the kind of football that always appealed to me, and I think you can do that with a counterattack because it can be really demoralizing for a team to go up against a, a defensive line that is very compact. Uh, and dangerous on the counterattack. I think the issue is that Real Madrid hasn't been defensively compact for a long time now. So it's almost a counterattacking scheme without the good defense. It's like getting away, dodging bullets defensively, and then counterattacking, which has its drawbacks because you're not always in an organized position to take advantage or escape a counterpress, which Barca implemented a couple times in this game. Um, but yeah, if I again, I don't have a preference either way, Christopher, but. I, I see I see what you're what you're saying. Anthony Vasquez says, Great to see Bale score again. Should Bale start slash play the last three league games to gain momentum for the final, or should Madrid limit his playing time until the final? This is a great question that I don't have an answer for because I don't feel like I'm adequate in an adequate position. And what I mean by that is that if the consensus by this, the coaching staff is that Bale should play the final, which may or may not change. Their opinion will probably swing and sway uh, until that game. But they'll probably come up with a much better plan than I would think of in my head that, you know, what is the best way for Bale to ease into this heading into the final and be in the ultimate match fitness and match rhythm. It's clear to me that for certain players in this team, like Ronaldo being the primary example and Modric and others, Zidane will look at the schedule and predetermine the rotations, but like Ronaldo or Modric, you're sitting in this game. And I think I, I think it would be naive for us to think that he hasn't done that with Gareth Bale too. So he may have already decided which ones Bale plays for him to be optimally fresh for the game against Liverpool. So I think that's why. Um, it's a good question, Anthony, but in terms of where he should play and where he should rest, that's kind of definitely not my expertise. And I think that Zidane, I'm sure, is kind of predetermining that as we speak. Essa Hariri says, Riyad Mahrez as a subject line. Hi, guys. Sorry, this is not a classical-related question, but Mahrez has been sensational this season, even though his team sucks, and he's being linked to Real Madrid. I love his style. Looks like a hybrid of Isco and Di Maria. Do you think Real Madrid would benefit from his signing? And how would you feel about that? I like Riyad Mahrez. I don't like the idea of signing him because I don't see where he fits. I don't see how in any world he would start over Asensio or Isco uh, or anyone in who can kind of fluctuate in those those positions for that matter. Um, even Danny Ceballos, I would I would not want to see Danny kind of further back in the depth chart. And Riyad Mahrez is not someone like a top 5 to 10 player where you would like try to squeeze him in and shoehorn him in. So for that reason, I'm going to pass. 
Leon Stavronakis has a question or comment with some guns blazing. He says, Barca are scum. Real Madrid won this game everywhere but the scoreboard, and we all know why. Uh, on the douchebag Suarez goal, it seemed to me that Nacho was most at fault. He ignored Marcelo's failure to track the runner, or sorry, ignoring Marcelo's failure to track the runner on the flank um, like a normal left back would, as we all know it just isn't happening. So, just quickly to interject here, I think I've, re- I've rewatched that goal several times. That high line is very suicidal. Marcelo's even in a position, if he was in a position, it's going to be because of the momentum of the pass and the angle where Marcelo's trying to catch up. It's going to be very difficult for him to to get there. And again, it was, I think, Madrid. the biggest thing, and you, I mentioned this with Diego, was Sergio Roberto getting sent off and Coutinho going after halftime. They lost their entire right flank, and that was huge. And I think, um, but I think you... Cruz also, by the way, dropped a bit deeper throughout the game to help Marcel double up a bit. Once Real Madrid realized and and kind of understood what was happening to them, they tried to rectify it a bit, which was at least nice to see those adjustments made. Um, but yeah, Nacho, to me, should have done a bit better. He didn't need to follow Ramos at the near post. He should have just hedged a bit wider and, and tried to put a body on Luis Suarez. So, um, Leon continues to say, Nacho seemed to seek to double-team Messi despite Sergio already being there and left the post back unattended exactly. Your thoughts? I think I already addressed it. Uh, Leon says, I love Zidane, but after watching this performance, it has to be said how horrible his decision-making is regarding Bale. How in the world can you consistently bench or reposition a world-class stud winger and finisher like Bale? To be honest, it's an example of horrible mismanagement. The Bale thing is an enigma and a very weird story for this season, Leon. Um, I think we've discussed this so many times. I don't know how many more times we can discuss it. So I'm going to leave it because I think people may be sick of hearing me and others talk about it. But um, again, we don't. And I mentioned this, I think it was to Matt, like maybe a month ago on the podcast, that we don't have the benefit of the doubt of being in, in the training sessions every single day the way Zidane is with the players and knowing who performs, who doesn't, who's working hard, who's buying into the system who, you know, who fits his tactics and whatnot. I personally think that Gareth Bale, I mean, it's not even an opinion that, you know, I think it's quite factual to say that Gareth Bale is the best two-way player we have and he thrives and he, in a 4-3 especially or on the flanks, he does a lot of great work, both off the ball and on the ball. Um, and I think he's the best in that position on the team in doing that. And, uh, but again, a lot of behind-the-scenes things that we don't know about. And unfortunately for him, with his, all his injuries, while he was being injured, other players stepped up and played brilliantly while Bale was injured. And they played himself into the team, whether it was Asensio or Lucas Vasquez. So Bale also doesn't have that going for him. Now, having said that, maybe after today and also the last game he scored, maybe he does play himself in, 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 into a starting role in the final. We'll see. Chris G says, I can't decide who I hate more, Luis Suarez or Jordi Alba. Which one do you guys dislike more? So do you guys understand now that I couldn't have Diego on for this part of the podcast? Um, The answer, Chris, is follow your heart. Um, But I would say start with Alba. One more patron question and then we're going to wrap it up. Sajid Reyes says, amidst the fanfare of the Bale Golasso, how did everyone miss the absolutely insane no look pass from Asensio that wrong footed the entire Barca defense to put Bale through on goal. 
The boy's vision is amazing in addition to his low dangerous cutbacks, his passing accuracy and of course his ability to break at speed at a, on a counter and score a golasso. But what impresses me is his decisiveness. In this game that passed for the equalizer, the crucial goal that gave us the lead in Munich, the two assists in the first against PSG, the boy is a phenomenon, your thoughts. I think Saji loves Asensio the way I love Bale, which is totally cool with me. I'm all for it. Um, I love Asensio almost as much as anyone. And I think I think you're right. The Bale's finish may overshadow the pass. The pass from Asensio was great. Um, he put Bale in a good position. Bale made a great run, um, as he did throughout the game. Some of his runs actually weren't were better than others. A lot of people complained that he didn't get the ball enough. I think... He was in good position sometimes. Like a lot of people complain that Asensio didn't pass to Bale uh, on a shot where he cut in and shot with his right foot. I thought it was a bit harsh. I think he was in a good position to shoot, and I was okay with him shooting that. Um, Asensio's been really good. I like him off the bench a bit better. Again, we talked about his issues against Bayern defensively, where I thought he put in his his one of his worst defensive performances as a Madridista. Uh, funnily enough, I think the other one that stood out to me before this the game against Bayern was in the classical last season at the Bernabeu, uh, where Bale played injured and then was subbed off and wasted sub. Asensio came on, and Asensio didn't defend that flank nearly as well as Bale did. But we know what Asensio brings to the table, and I like him off the bench because, for all those reasons Sajid says, he can be a genius with the ball. I think there were moments in this game where... It was a bit confusing to both him and, and me watching what he was supposed to do offensively, especially when he was on the left. So um, there were times where him and Marcelo just didn't really have that same chemistry that, you know, for example, Ronaldo and Marcelo do or Benzema and Marcelo. Um, and I think that, you know, whether that was... Uh, I, by design or not, he switched the right flank a bit later and looked far more comfortable linking up with Lucas Vasquez. And I thought that made a lot more sense. But I thought he was very good. You know, like in his one half of football, he had two key passes, um, just instrumental and kind of just trying to funnel the possession. He had a bunch of touches in this game, um, despite only playing one half. Um, so I liked the performance. I think... He, you know, it wasn't like otherworldly in this game, but I thought the pass was great. Um, and I think he was he was quite good. So, again, and I think it, just to wrap it up here, a lot of people were, were criticizing Real Madrid and Zidane getting it wrong and, and how can we not score against 10 men and blah, blah, blah. I actually didn't have too much to nitpick in this game with the team's performance. I think a lot of obvious things went against the team. And that happens, you know, like I think the referee thing aside, the only thing that kind of irked me about, our, you know, if we're talking about performance is that the high line and the lack of transition defense, again, you know, surprise, surprise, it was an issue. And I think Barca had way too much space on the counterattack. And that's something that Zidane has tended to do. Like he he tends to ask his players to stay up high as an outlet rather than get back. And you live and die with that. So far in the Champions League, it's worked with a lot of luck. Um, again, also maybe not luck, depending on what your interpretation is. But uh, in La Liga, it's cost us a bunch of points, whether it was against Salta in Balaidos, against Levante, uh, against Girona. And all these issues were a recurring theme. It was a recurring theme. 
So it would be crazy interesting and slightly scary to see how that holds up against Liverpool, who have a lot of issues of their own, by the way. I'm going to write an article to preview the final. And I've been watching Liverpool quite a bit this season, especially the last two, three months, and especially since I knew that it was a huge possibility for us to play them. And I think they have a lot of weaknesses and a lot of things that don't do well. They also do a lot of things well. Um, and um, and for obvious reasons, we know what their front three is capable of. So it be very interesting to see what Zidane decides to do if he if he kind of studies to see how how Roma blitzed Manchester City in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals. There's a lot of things that I'm really intrigued in and in to see to see how Zidane responds to. And um the biggest one for me is transition defense and the lack of vertical compactness that the team currently suffers from. And I hope it gets rectified in the final. Okay, this was um, a long one. I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys want to pledge, again, patreon.com slash managing, which is where you go to pledge. We'll be doing a Wednesday show um, for our patrons. So if you want access to that, you can pledge. I think it's $3 a month now. You can pledge and get access to it. Tomorrow, which is Monday, Churros y Tacticas. If you're not already subscribed to it, please subscribe. Um, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and Jerry Armstrong will be joining us on Churros y Tacticas tomorrow to talk about Spanish football. And before I let you go, finally, patron shoutouts to all these $10 plus patrons. Nick Stefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahar, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo, Chamali Perez, Anas Alzawi, Raul Gutierrez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeid, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, Daniel Smith, The goats, the real goats. Um, can't thank you guys enough. That list gets longer like every week, and I'm almost out of breath. So thank you for everyone. Thank you to everyone for supporting the show. It means a lot to to us. It's um, very amazing. All right, guys. Kian Sobani signing off, and Halamari. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.